What's up, everyone? This is episode number 75 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, today I want to summarize some of my week in the hobby, including a little bit of mail that I had. I want to talk about TJ Warren. Um, you know, Pacers had a great week. I got to talk about it. Uh, but also the reactionary market that I described on last week's episode. And then lastly, I want to share an update from PSA. So uh, let's start off with some mail. So I did this last week and I really enjoyed talking about my mail. People seem pretty receptive to it, so I might try to do that more often. Um, I think that also kind of gives me um, an outlet to talk a little bit more about my collection, which I know people like hearing about other people's collections. So I have two pieces from this week that I want to share real quick. And the first one is something that I've already posted a picture of on my Instagram. I think my Twitter too. It is a Wilt Chamberlain patch, numbered to 100, that I bought from a listener named Michael. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Michael because he's been very supportive of my efforts here in the past. He's been very generous to me. Um, And then also in this case, he gave me a really good deal on this card. Um, I wasn't expecting to buy another Wilt patch, but I saw it on eBay. I was instantly attracted to it. I noticed he was the seller, and we were able to work something out, and it it was pretty quick, in fact. So thanks again to Michael for a great transaction, and thank you for your generosity. For those of you that didn't see the picture of that card on social media, this is a nice three-color patch from 2004-2005 Upper Deck Ultimate Collection. This is actually my second patch from the set, but my first copy is a piece of trim, whereas this new piece is one from one of the number patches on a Lakers jersey, so uh, that was really cool. And uh, I know a lot of people here, uh, or a lot of listeners, are really nostalgic for 90s stuff, and everyone you know, kind of has their own era. That's part of what makes collecting so great, and, and especially a collecting community so great. Um, but... You know, even though I did collect in the 90s, I'm all about that stuff from 2002 to 2006. I have a lot of nostalgia for those years. Um, That's when, you know, one of the times I came back to the hobby, that's when I actually started opening a box here and there. That's where I started reading forums online. That's where I started using eBay a lot more. So there was a lot of of, uh, new stuff in the hobby. And then at the same time, stuff that was new to me. So just that time frame will always be really special to me. Uh, There were a lot of classy sets made in that time frame as well. So, you know, all in all, it's hard to turn down a cool historical piece from that era. Speaking of that era, um, that moves us into the second piece of mail from this week, which was a printing plate from 2005. Um, Several weeks ago, I, I talked a little about how I'd been collecting Pacers gold cards and Pacers printing plates from a set called Tops Total. I've been doing that for about 15 years now. And um, a couple weeks ago, one of my listeners sent me a Scott Pollard uh, printing plate, a a back printing plate, and he said, this belongs in your PC. And I talked about that, and and, I'm incredibly thankful for that. Uh, Well, last week, uh, Nate from Cardboard Illuminati podcast, he got his hands on a cheap box of tops total, and um, he pulled, guess what? one of the other three back plates for Scott Pollard. 
So he messaged me. I said, hey, man, you know, what do you want for this thing? And he said, absolutely nothing. So kudos to him. And really as well, you know, I know he pulled that one, but the other two guys from Cardboard Illuminati, Tyler and Jack, they've sent me stuff over the years. I really appreciate that. Um, I was able to meet Tyler and Jack at the National last year. I I haven't met Nate yet, but I figure that day will come. But um, how crazy is that? I'm looking for these parallels in these plates for 15 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's four printing plates for the back of the Scott Pollard card. Two of them find their way into my hands in a matter of two to three weeks. Uh, you know, and one of them hadn't had been sitting in a uh, in a sealed box for all this time. So, uh, just like I said last week, whatever you're pursuing in the card world, keep chasing it. You never know what's going to happen. Okay, so um, that segues us into a little more follow up from last week, where I talked about the NBA bubble and some of the re- the reactionary buying that's happening. And as expected, the NBA continues to do a great job with this whole thing. Well, um, my phone has been blowing up this week with messages, and good messages, mind you. Um, And for most of you, this won't be a huge surprise, but you know that the game I was most excited about was the Pacers' first official game back in the bubble against Philadelphia. And the Pacers won, which is always a good thing. But what really stood out to me was, and you know, obviously the whole hobby, the fact that TJ Warren scored 53 points. He dropped a 50 piece on him. Um, of course, as expected in this current market, his rookie card prices went absolutely bonkers. And now I told you last week that I had missed TJ Warren's mid range game. Um, you know, well, I missed the three point game as well. He went nine for 12 that game. But, you know, look, I love uh, Victor Oladipo on the Pacers, right? You know, he's fan favorite. Um, he made 2017 my favorite Pacers season to watch in years, but um, he's been out for over a year now. And TJ Warren has, has been my favorite Pacer to watch this season. And no, I, you know, I'm not just saying that in the moment. I know this is annoying when guys say stuff like, yeah, you know, I've always been a fan or they feel like they have to prove it to you. But um, I really love TJ Warren's game. So um, I want to take some time and just tell you a little bit about TJ Warren this season. And um, I want to talk about how he's developed. And, you know, I am going to talk a little bit about values because no, I don't think his cards will maintain their current values. I don't think they should maintain their current values. Um, I'll even say I don't think you should be buying them right now because he doesn't have the staying power in the hobby, even though he's going to have the staying power in the league. Those are traditionally two very different things. And also, no, I don't, um, you know, I never wanted a lot of Suns cards, so it's not like I'm sitting on a huge stack of TJ Warren stuff either. So I'm not trying to influence that. I'm not trying to suppress that or not trying to inflate that either way. So. All right, but let's talk about TJ and kind of how all of this came about. So heading into the draft and free agency last summer, I knew the Pacers had some decisions to make. And I loved Boyan Bogdanovich when he was here. In fact, I still really like him. You know, Utah is going to miss out on him. He's hurt right now. That's a huge loss, especially when you watch Utah right now. They need another shooter. Uh, They need another score, right? Well, when he was here, when he was in Indiana, I should say, 
you know, some of you forget he hit LeBron with the 30 piece in the 2018 playoffs. And I think that game will forever be seared in my brain. I'm just going to forget about everything that happened after in that series. But um, it was looking like he was going to command a pretty good amount of money on the open market and the Pacers wouldn't be able to match because he outperformed his contract while he was here. They had him on a really good deal. So prior to the 2019 draft, the Pacers sent cash to the Phoenix Suns for the 32nd pick and TJ Warren. And um, Indy then flipped that pick for three other second round picks to Miami shortly after. Um, Now, look, I know TJ was not a good fit in Phoenix and things just didn't work out there. Um, And I know moving him, let them bring in, um, you know, Rubio and some other key pieces. But, you know, uh, the Suns essentially paid the Pacers to take T.J. Warren, and um, he ended up being a much cheaper alternative to Boyan. Um, I liked the move. You know, just off, off the top of my head, I want to say he averaged about 14 or 15 points last year with the Suns. I should have looked that up prior. I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, so so if, if you thought about it, you know, the, the points would have pretty much evened out. So I thought it was going to be a good move, even though I missed Boyan, um, and, and only time would tell. So the, the team started the season with a trip to India, and the very first game, TJ dropped 30 points. So I remember texting my friend Steve, this would be Pacer Steve, not Jay Crowder Steve, uh, and I was just freaking out. And I was looking at his Prism Silvers then, and not to invest and you know I didn't want a bunch of Suns cards but I just wanted to own one they were about ten dollars and and I'm like nah this is same thing I did with Bogdanovich no this is way too high right because at the time ten dollars was high for a silver prism you know things weren't so reactionary then you could have a 30 point game in India and it wouldn't really do anything to your pricing so I decided to hold off and wait for a nice card in a Pacers uniform well, um, coming into Indiana, one of the big knocks against TJ was his defense. And it's funny because you heard the same thing about Bogdanovich before he came here, and he ended up being a pretty capable defender himself. Um, so TJ's first few weeks with the Pacers, you could see him struggling on the defensive end. Um, but one thing that the Pacers really hone in on is they don't want to run a lot of switches or zones. And they've had to adapt some to the zone throughout the season, which I'm glad they have because that's kind of where the NBA is going. Um, but really, individual accountability is huge. And TJ adapted in a very short time, and he became a really good defender, both on and off the ball. Um, I know people have tried to credit the Pacers coaching staff and more specifically assistant Dan Burke. He's a great defensive mind. Um but they'll tell you that these were skills that TJ had already picked up somewhere before Phoenix. So, you know, whether he got him in Indiana or somewhere else, he's become a really good defender. So um, that's the defensive side. And then with Oladipo out most of the year and then injuries here and there to Sabonis and Brogdon and Turner, the team relied on him a lot on the offensive end. So heading into the bubble, he was our leading scorer, averaging around 18 points per game. Um He's been a quiet guy all year. He's, you know, an introvert. He's pretty shy. He did have a mix-up with Jimmy Butler where we saw a little fire from him, and I loved that. 
Um, right now, the Pacers are probably going to get the fourth or fifth seed, which would put them against Miami in the first round. So that could be really interesting. So be on the watch for that. Um, but we'll see. Um, all right. So that kind of catches us up to at least the bubble. Um, now, remember what I said earlier, the entire season, I've been patiently waiting for a really good Pacers card of TJ Warren um, because, and I, this is not a slight to some of my friends, because I've done this some before too. In the past, I've I've bought um, you know a card from another team of a Pacers new player, and then when that player leaves, it really doesn't mean anything to me. You know, it it seems out of place in my Pacers collection. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I mentioned my friend Pacers Steve earlier. I, I've seen him do the same thing. So kind of through both our experiences, I've realized. You know, maybe grab one or two things, but I don't want to grab a lot. So that's kind of what I did from last year. I grabbed a status pursuit. I've talked about that set before of TJ Warren. I think it was like five or six bucks shipped maybe. So I grabbed one of those and then I tried to hold off. Um, So then the season started. He's in prism. Guess what? It's a Suns uniform. That's not going to work. Um, He's in Revolution. Guess what? It's a Suns uniform. So I passed on the Galactic. Um, And then Optic comes around and Panini didn't even put Victor Oladipo or TJ Warren in the base set. Uh, We got guys like Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday instead. And even though it's nice to get parallels of them, it's kind of disappointing to me that our star and our leading scorer aren't even in one of the, the biggest sets that Panini makes. Um, you know, and I know these guys aren't on the same level, but imagine if you were a Lakers fan and they just didn't put LeBron and Anthony Davis in the set, right? So these are these are some of the things that uh, small market fans have to go through. And I'm not, this is not a, a woe is me kind of thing, but um, as a team collector, I just kind of want to give you that perspective. And, and maybe Panini, if you're listening, uh, you know, make sure our stars are in the sets, I'm not asking for him to be in every insert set, but Optic, please make sure our leading scores are in Optic. Thank you. Um, all right. So Mosaic comes around, and we finally have TJ Warren in a Pacers uniform. But I'm still kind of picky. I like uh, game background shots. I think that's part of why I was so disappointed he wasn't in Optic. Um, and then also, I pulled a Genesis of Austin Rivers, and I wasn't a huge fan of the design. Um, you know, even though I've still contemplated, I almost grabbed one this week. Um, I held off and, and I saw, you know, at one point there were seven TJ Warren Genesis cards on eBay at the same time. So I, I figured out they really weren't as rare as people thought. So I waited, but then Saturday night, TJ Warren scores 53 points. And like I said, I've been trying, I've been patient all year long. I've been good all year long. Saturday night, he scores 53 points. That's two days after I released an episode about the reactionary market. And I made an intentionally reactive purchase. However, only for $1.70. Okay, so like I said, though, this was on purpose. Now, why is that? Why would I buy something on purpose, a reactionary buy on purpose? That doesn't seem right. Okay, well, here's the deal. I wanted a card for my binder to commemorate this 53-point game. Um, And it had to be in a Pacers uniform. So, you know, there weren't a lot of options, and I elected to go with 
the appropriately titled Mosaic Reactive Orange Parallel. Because every time I look at that card in my binder, I'll think about the night where the Pacers, you know, after four months off from basketball, five months off, however many months it is, um, they're back. You know, our guy scores 53 points. Um, and I'll think about that night, you know, and I had a blast that night watching that. Um, and, you know, it was even better that was on it was on a dysfunctional Sixer squad. And I'll be up front here. I don't like Philly at all. So that was just icing on the cake. Um, like I said, it cost me a dollar seventy. Obviously, I, I won't be trying to flip it. You know, I doubt it even sells for a dollar seventy next week anyway. But I'm very happy with that purchase, and that kind of gives you um, another glimpse into my collecting world and and some of the things that I'll do. I like to buy cards to commemorate events. Um, even you know something as as strange as like big life events, right? Like I can tell you cards that I bought. Um, I, I can tell you a card I bought on my wedding day. Um, just weird stuff like that, right? All right. Um, now, I want to circle back around though because you know I, last week I, I cautioned you against reactionary buying and now I'm giving you an example where I purchased something in a reactionary way. Um, after the game, someone asked me if I thought TJ Warren cards were going to go up. And I didn't know for sure if this person meant up in general because they had already shot to the moon before the end of the night. You know, stuff was getting snatched up by halftime. Um, or, you know, maybe he meant even higher than that. So my answer was that I didn't see them going higher. Um, but, you know, it's all just speculation. In the past, they wouldn't have gone up much. But remember, this is 2020. And our theme music for the year is, is the chorus to the Weird Al song, Everything You Know Is Wrong. Um, but here's where context would have come into play in the past. And, you know, we'll have to decide if we want to apply this to the present or not. Um, someone asked me if I thought they should buy Warren cards. So I'm about to make the argument why you shouldn't. And, um, you know, remember, there are some influencers out there right now. They could speak his name and his values will go up for no reason. We have no control over that. Um, if that does happen, just ride the waves and make your money. Buy your TJ Warren stuff later. Uh, but here is some context for why um, you know you shouldn't when there are no other crazy variables like that in play. Listen, I love TJ, right? He had a great game. In fact, then he followed that up with a 34-point performance and a 32-point performance in the two games that followed. So he's, he's a really good NBA player, right? He's put up multiple... 30-point games this season. Um, but here are some of the factors that played into the Saturday night 53-point explosion. Uh, first off, Sabonis was already out. And in the other three games that Sabonis missed this season prior to the bubble, TJ averaged 25.3 points per game. So his scoring was up considerably, about seven points higher. Another thing to consider uh, Malcolm Brogdon was a last-minute scratch because of a neck injury, so you didn't have those points. Uh, Miles Turner was in foul trouble the entire game, so you didn't have those points. In fact, they had T.J. Warren playing the four some of the game. And then finally, you had Victor Oladipo, who was playing, but he's just kind of cruising now to, to get his feet back under him and get the feel for the game. Um, that's all on the Pacers' side. Now, on top of that, Brett Brown... 
could possibly be one of the worst coaches in the NBA. I'm trying to be kind here. Um, I already tweeted some about him already. I'm not going to go into some of the big criticisms against him right here now, but this is something to consider if you're making decisions about players that play against his team or even players that play for him. Um, Because in this particular game, throughout the entire game, when TJ was clearly the only scoring option for the Pacers and they were actively feeding him, Brett Brown neglected to make any major coverage adjustments to do anything about it. No traps, no doubles. Um, The majority of these points came against Ben Simmons, who can be a very good defender, but in this case, it clearly wasn't working out. Um, You know, why not try Thibault some more? He was there. I know they tried him a little, but, you know, why not go back to him? Um, Why not double and force Jakar, Sampson, and TJ Leaf to shoot? You know, it just doesn't add up in my head, but, um, you know, he's the NBA coach and I'm not. All right. Anyway, before I veer too far off, those of you that are buying TJ Warren cards after the fact, um, that's just a reminder. You might want to look at the overall context of the situation. And you could have said the same thing for Bull Bull, right? In that scrim- that famous scrimmage game now. Why were the Nuggets starting three seven-footers in a scrimmage? Well, they're trying to get guys in shape. They're trying to get guys minutes. Um, the three seven-foot model probably won't work against most NBA teams, in 2020 at least, because um, none of them really move like wings, um, you know, I'm talking, you know, if, if maybe if they were guys like Siakam or Bam Adebayo, that might work. That doesn't work with Bol Bol, <laughs> Jokic, and Mason Plumlee. Um, but, you know, uh, in the same vein, TJ Warren following his 53-point game up with a 34-point game doesn't validate his prices necessarily. Just like Bol Bol following up his debut with a stinker doesn't invalidate his. So you have to look at the bigger context of things. Um, But if you're making decisions off of single instances or reading a box score, you you know, you're missing out. It's the same basic idea I addressed when someone sees a card price is soaring and they pass on the news without knowing the underlying reasons why. So these ripples are dangerous. Um, All of that is to say, look, I love watching TJ Warren. Saturday night was special. I don't anticipate seeing him drop 50 again. Um, I don't think his card prices should get any higher than they did this week, but who knows. And um, just as a, as a fun little aside to close out this section, here are a few other NBA players that have had at least one 50-point game. You've got Mo Williams, Corey Brewer, Terrence Ross, Dale Ellis, um, Kevin Martin, and uh, you know Jamal Crawford did it four times. So I know the landscape of the hobby is different now, but uh, it's just something to think about. All right. But like I said, you never know. It's 2020. Someone could put them in their top five list or something goofy and things will continue to run off the rails there. Just remember, you know, ride the waves, make your money, put that money back into PC cards that you like. Find a way to use what is happening right now to benefit your collection, if that's the way, you know, you've chosen to do things. All right. So let's say, though, that you did end up buying yourself a $30 raw TJ Warren Prism rookie, and you want to get that bad boy graded, because everyone's doing that, right? Uh, Maybe you'll go with PSA. 
So this moves us into the last segment of today's show because PSA is supposedly in the process of making some big changes. On Monday, I had an email pop up in my inbox that said, a message from the PSA president. Well, I knew he wasn't personally emailing me at this point, so it had to be another company update. Some of you probably got the same message this week. Um, There were really four main updates in this email that I want to share. So the first update that they shared with us talks about adding capacity. And in this section, um, President Sloan states, We have completed a build-out of our operations and in doing so have created a new department for value submissions. Now, when he says value submissions, he's talking about a program they have where you can submit cards in quantities of 50 or higher to take advantage of their lowest pricing options. Um, They split that up in three ways. There's vintage, which is 1971 and earlier. There's modern, which is everything else up to 2016. And then there's ultra modern, which is everything from 2017 on. And obviously a lot of the basketball stuff and the prism stuff that's being graded right now falls under that last umbrella. Um, The vintage and modern are $10 per card. The ultra modern is 15. So anyway, they're creating the space to grade this stuff and they're also making new hires. And Sloan noted that they added 20 new hires last week and they're looking for more in an upcoming virtual career fair. So that was update number one. Uh, Number two, he then moves on and he talks about the hiring of Dave Steinberger, which I talked about last week. He's a collector, he's a longtime customer, and he's going to serve as their vice president of customer experience. So there's not much more to say there. Um, We get to the third section of this email, which really was the most interesting to me because I honestly didn't expect to see anything about this in the near future, but it talks about robotics automation. And I'm just going to read that portion for you here real quick. He said, I'm extremely excited to announce the August arrival of new robotics machinery to PSA's operations department. This investment in automation will usher in efficiencies across many of the important early steps before a collectible reaches the grading room, speeding up the process of receiving, researching, spec identification, and preparing an order for grading. Ultimately, this will result in more efficient order processing and card diagnostics. We will share more details about this important soon. Um, Look, so I know I've talked about this before. There are a lot of people that think digital grading would be a bad move for PSA uh, in the sense that, um, you know, let's face it, PSA benefits from the more subjective elements of the process, right? Because you could, in theory, have a card graded and it's a nine. You could send it back and someone else looks at it and they, you know, according to their eyes and kind of their tools, they view that as a 10, Right? So they benefit from that because people will submit things multiple times. If, if the same computer was grading everything, you wouldn't have that. Um, so it, you know, a lot of people think it wouldn't make sense for PSA to move that way as far as technology goes. Well, in what they're doing now, they can implement more technology without affecting the other elements a whole lot. So you know, if they're just identifying cards or, you know, whatever, this could make things a lot more efficient. I didn't expect to see this from them. So that was pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that um, they can shed some more light on that because really it was just like a 
a 30 second video of a robotic arm moving around. We didn't get a lot of insight to what it actually does. Um, and then finally, the fourth thing he talked about was the improved pricing tool. And Sloan states, quote, comprehensive pricing for PSA graded cards is easily available with no calculator required. And in addition to average sale price, PSA's free APR tool gives collectors the total picture on valuation and population, including most recent price per grade, comparison to the card's SMR price, and the card's population per grade. Um, so I, I know there was some chatter about this tool on the blowout baseball forums, but I don't have any firsthand experience with it. I can't verify if it's all that accurate or not. Uh, and, you know, I think it's as with any tool, it's going to take some time to kind of work out the, the problems with it if there are any. All right. So, you know, what do we make of all this? Because normally uh, I definitely don't want this to be a, a PSA advertisement and I wouldn't spend a lot of time or in most cases any time on a PSA email. But as you guys know, and as I discussed in episode 69, there's currently a hedge fund um, called Alta Fox Capital that purchased over 5% of the public shares of the company. And they're not happy with the way that things are being run and they're looking to implement some changes. And I talked to fund manager Connor Haley at one point on the phone and um, I'll say that I was really impressed with his approach because his message was essentially, um, your shareholders are inactive, the company refuses to get with the times, and the board itself is complacent. So as I discussed, Alpha Fox is currently making a push to replace the majority of the board at Collector's Universe, which is the, the parent company of PSA. And last week, Alpha Fox put out their new... A quarterly letter where they rehashed some of that plan. So I'm not going to go over all that again. Like I said, I talked about that in episode 69. Um, one of the things they said in there, though, is um, we were told there was no timetable for implementing any of the digital initiatives, which is interesting if you stop and think about it, because now we have an email from PSA where they're saying that automation is coming this month. And then, like I said, there was a fancy video of the robot arm moving around. So, um, you know, going back to this quarterly letter, I want to also note that Alta Fox said, quote, we are limited in what we can say at this juncture. However, we continue to have strong conviction that our strategy is the value maximizing path and that if push comes to shove, we have a winning hand and can create significant value for common shareholders. We are excited to share additional materials on our plan and the need for change at the appropriate time. Stay tuned. So, um, you know, that's one side of it, but I, I don't get the impression that these two sides here, being PSA and Alta Fox, are, are working hand in hand because when Alta Fox initially published their letter to shareholders, there was a PSA company letter shortly after. I don't think that was a coincidence. And then as I indicated last week, I don't think the hiring of Dave Steinberger was any coincidence either. So the impression I get here is that PSA is not all that keen on the on this move to overthrow the board, whatever you want to call it. You know, um, Even though I said I liked the approach, I didn't figure PSA would be on board because you know no one really likes um, being forced to do anything. I couldn't blame them in this case, even though it's probably something they need. Um, 
However, though, I, I like to give attention to this stuff because I feel like it's forcing PSA's hand a little. Um, and really, it's for their own good because it will make them better. So I don't feel like collectors and customers were able to put enough pressure on PSA for them to do something. And I, I know we've tried to put pressure on them in the past, and we've lobbied for a few things before, and we've made some progress, especially when it comes to logging serial numbers and such, although we still don't know how that's being done. They just said it is being done. Um, but truth be told, they've only been receptive when something really embarrassing happens. With BGS, they didn't want anything to do with us or with me um, until I talked about them slabbing the same altered curry RPA multiple times and how you could go on Google and do a 10-second search and figure that out, and they couldn't do that. Um, then in the same vein, PSA ignored me until I pointed out their SMR magazine featured an altered Kawhi Leonard RPA. Well, once that happened, I had a, a direct message on Instagram from Steve Sloan in less than 10 minutes. So, once again here, you have the appearance of a potential board takeover, whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like a takeover. That's a little embarrassing. Uh, it should get people's attention, and it should wake PSA up a little, which, you know, seeing this new email, I think it has. So even though I don't really do much with grading, I think this whole ordeal um, could have a positive impact on the industry, and I think it's worth following. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, that's all I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed that. Those of you that are hunting chronicles or heading to card shows this weekend, I wish you the best of luck. Um, if you have any thoughts on the TJ Warren market or the changes at PSA, or really anything I talked about today, let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. I also want to encourage you to check out a video from my friend Jake at 90s B-Ball Cards on YouTube this week. Uh, he's got a newborn at the house and things are pretty busy for him, so I had the chance to jump on his show and show off some of my favorite 90s cards. So I don't ever actually get to show cards here, I just have to describe them, so... Um, that was a fun little video to put together, so please make sure you check that out. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.